Okay. Good morning again. You guys doing good today? All right. Now listen. You guys better uh, buckle your chin straps. Uh, today is uh, today is going to be quite a ride. These next two weeks, uh, we are covering um, covering some pretty uh, pretty sticky stuff, and uh, because of that, uh, we have we've gotten a, the warning out to those with kids that uh, the the parental guidance is suggested for these two messages, uh, as we're going to be dealing pretty pretty frankly with uh, with homosexuality, with incest and sexual sin uh, this week and next week, and uh, so our, our recommendation is that you take that in consideration, um, and I, I believe um, something has been made available. Uh, Eric, is there environments available for, for folks up to uh, just at, uh, pump it up? Okay, pump it up's available for kids, and I th- that may be moot uh, in here today. I think most folks have taken, taken us up on that, but um, uh, we, uh, we're, we're, in, we're in some uncomfortable territory for some Christians, uh, but it's it's important that we delve in here. Uh, one of our core values is that we that we teach through the the whole counsel of, of God's word. Um, to do that, that means it's going to take it takes uh, years, decades to teach through Scripture, uh, and it won't even all happen from up front here. But as we as we press forward to teach through all of Scripture, that we don't make a habit of of just jumping around. Um, uh, that can be very relevant, but that can also be self-serving to stay away from from um, hot potatoes or things that you're uncomfortable with. Um, some of the things we're going to talk about today they're 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 uncomfortable, but it's it's vital. It's vital that we have we take a look, a deep look at what God has to say about sexuality, um, uh, and and it's important to take a look at. Uh, interpretations and misinterpretations uh, of of the Bible when it comes comes to this. I, I come to you as a pastor and and as as a church that we have founded ourselves on Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His authority in our life, and the Bible's authority in our lives. Not everyone who walks into these doors, who who comes to our small groups, um, who uh, who are in in on a journey with us. Uh, would ascribe to Jesus as being deity, as being God, or the Bible as being the final arbiter for all things. Um, but we do. We proclaim that. And these new members that just made a covenant, they're saying that, that God and His Word are the final authority of, what, of how life should be and understanding who I am and understanding what the human condition is and understanding the broader scope of what history, mankind, and what even the future is going to be, and so uh, I invite you guys to uh, to to jump in uh, and to and to walk with us as uh, as we uh, look through this. Um, we're going to start in Genesis 19, um, jumping back into Genesis, um, and we're going to walk through um, verses 1 through 13. We're going to be talking about um, the sin and the sins of Sodom. Um, and in particular, we are going to tackle the, some issues of homosexuality. Um, let's pray. Lord, with a confidence, we come before you and we just say, God, we know you're a good God. Um, and Lord, whether, it, whether a person who's here or listening to this claims to be heterosexual, homosexual, asexual, 
whatever their sexual identity that they claim, God, Lord, uh, we, we proclaim in here together, Lord, that you are the one that's able to actually judge. You're the one that's actually the one to say, no, this is, this is the way the design was supposed to be. This is how I created things, and this is what happened as a result of the fall. And God, I pray that you would speak into our lives, that we would look and that, that, we, would, that we would analyze uh, your design and that we'd be very honest with what the warping of your design um, looks like in our lives and in other people's lives, God, and that we will approach this truth honestly, but that we would also approach it with ourselves and with others with grace, Lord. Uh, that we bring grace and truth to this issue, Lord, because, uh, Lord Jesus, you, you love us. You love ones, you love the men and women, the boys, the girls, the students across history who've committed all sins, all atrocities, Lord. Um, you love us. And so, God, may we see you in and through all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, Genesis 19, starting in verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gates of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. All right, this actually parallels Genesis 18 as you looked at Abraham when these angels came to him. And he, he went out of his way to show hospitality to them, including having, having Sarah cook some things and having himself prepare some things for them. And he, he, uh, he showed hospitality. And at this point in the story, Lot is showing a hospitality. He's offering, he's offering his house. But there's more to the story. There's something deeper that's going on here, more than just we would like for you to come and be in our house. They said, no, we'll spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. Okay? He pressed them strongly. He's like, no, 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 really. Guys, you don't want to stay in the middle of town. Come with me. Come stay with me. He didn't know they were angels. He assumed they were just brilliant men, uh, men of, of honor, men that, Men that uh, you looked at them and, and they were, they were, maybe they were dazzling by, by their appearance or maybe it was just by their personality, but there was something very attractive about them. Um, he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. He made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, okay? Um, now, as we get deeper into this part of the story, into this story, I, I want you to recognize something. Uh, the, the verbiage that's being used in the Hebrew here, both young and old, is complete of males. It means the old men and their canes, the middle-aged men, the young men, married, single, and the boys. Everyone, every male in Sodom is being included in this of saying being a part. 
And whether that means absolutely everyone was there or if it's saying, look, across the spectrum of age, you had, you had everyone that was represented here. And you'll see why this is so horrific as we go further. They called, they called a lot. Where are the men who came to you? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to meet to the men at the entrance, and he shut the door after him, and he said, and now let's, let's stop for there just for just a second, that we may know them. Uh, this, this word know is the same word know in a few verses where it'll, he'll, as he talks about his daughters, um, the, the Hebrew word that's being used there, um, it's, it's an intimate knowledge that is quite, that is very literally referring to bring the men out to us that we may gang rape them. Bring them to us. Bring them to us. It, it was, there, was no, there was nothing consensual about, about the request. It's like bring the men to us. Bring them to us. Because we're lusting after them and all of all the males, the old men, the young men, even the boys, we want everybody to have a piece of them. He said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more next week as we identify more with Lot and the, the final destruction. We're, we're, we're not going to get to the destruction of of Sodom and Gomorrah today, but next week we're going to hit the destruction, and then we're going to see what took place in his life in, in the months or maybe the soon years uh, after that uh, as, as a result. This, this is a town. This is a town that, that Lot wanted to be a part of. This is one that says he sat in the gates, even though he was a foreigner. He sat in the gates. He had influence in this town. Um, this is the town he chose to live in, this is the town that he chose to remain in, that he raised his daughters in. Okay? Now, some of y'all, you you're not married, you don't have kids yet, but you remember what it's like growing up, and maybe you had a brother or a sister. I mean, imagine the kind of things we're talking about here. Imagine this being the culture of the city, and imagine living in this, in this city. You know? Would you have been going to dad and just said, Dad can... can uh, <laughs> You know, there's just over the, the hill over here, there's, uh, there's some farmland or there's, there's some other towns around. Dad, this is, this is pretty rough. I mean, when they came to the door, even before they came to the door, Lot, he was like, look, guys, look, the wrong place to be tonight is to be alone out in the middle of the square. Do not do that. Lot knew. He knew how wicked and horrible this place was. And yet this is where he raised his family. This is where, as we'll see, this is even where he picked out the future son-in-laws for his daughters. Um, this will hit us a little bit more next week as we, had, as we consider more what it, means to be, what it means to be missional or what it means to be totally off track in mission. He says, I beg you, don't act so wickedly. Verse 8, Behold, I've got... I have two daughters which have not known any man. Okay, let me stop for just a second. Um, there, are, there is a, a pro-homosexual movement 
uh, going on in, in our nation. That's easy enough to see. Uh, but even among uh, the church, even among Christianity, there are, um, there are churches and certain denominations that they're, a, they're pro-homosexual. And what they say about this is they say that the no that they're talking about is they're referring to they didn't, they didn't know who they were. They were, they were saying that Lot, Lot messed up here. That Lot was the one that didn't introduce these strangers to the rest of the city. Uh, that, that, um, and, and, and true, true to form, I mean, if, you, if you're an alien living in another, in another town and someone came in and the people didn't know them, they had the right to know who they were and why they were there in case they were an enemy coming in to create mischief. Uh, and, but the, the, the pro-homosexual movement and, and the proponents, what they say is, see, that's what's going on here is, is you, have, you, you just have a, a lack of hospitality. And they didn't mean any ill or harm. They just wanted to know what's going on. And, and it's, it just doesn't hold water. Because why would Lot be so afraid about them being out there? And why would he come and shut the door? Why would he not introduce them to them if that were the only problem? And why would it be that he would, he would offer for his daughters to come out for them because they never knew anyone? And that's where their interpretation of that word no, the same word, falls through because it was like, what do you mean they didn't know any man? I mean, did they stay shut up in their house? Since they were children, you know, they, they were engaged uh, to, uh, to a couple of men. And so they obviously knew. And then their dad was around. So it doesn't hold water. What they, what was going on here is Lot did something incredibly wicked. In the middle of him trying to, to help, he did something that we, would be unimaginable to us. Where these these men and old men, young men, boys were out there with just lust in their eyes, wanting to gang rape these angels. And Lot says, listen, don't, don't take these men. How about, how about if I give you my two daughters because they're virgins? Take them instead. Guys, I, I, I've got three sons and I've got a daughter. And first of all, the whole thing of, of me un- thinking, thinking that there, there were boys that were caught up in this culture. Or the idea that I would, for some stranger, that I would say, here, take my daughter. Take my daughter and abuse her rather, rather than this. I, I, I'm, I'm horrified by, by the, uh, the actions that are going on here. Um, let me bring them out to you. Do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. And this again is where the hermeneutic, the, the interpretation that this was just about hospitality breaks, breaks down. But they say, stand back. And this fellow came to sojourn, and, when, and he's become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to breaking the door down. And so again, it just doesn't make any sense at all that, that this was about hospitality and well, we'll do worse, we'll do worse to you. Um, so he, he's in trouble now. Lot is in need of rescue. 
Verse 10 says, But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. And so a miracle takes place. They pull him in. These angels pull, pull him in. And by a miracle of God, they strike blind some or all of the men that are out, that are out front. And then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in this city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So at this point, they make it clear and plain, look, guys, look, we're not just here, we're not just here to protect you from these people. We're here to bring the judgment of God. We're bring, here to bring the condemnation of God upon this place. And we're going to hit this more next week, so don't, so, so don't, miss, don't miss out. But, but the key is going to be uh, in here, they're destroying this place because the outcry against its people has become great against the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So what was the sin of Sodom? Um, was it was it the violence? Was it was it the gang rape? And um, and for sh- for sure, there's something that's just ho- so horrific morally, uh, something so wrong that's going on in the culture of the city to where everyone is involved. Now now think about this. This means whatever their law enforcement officers would have been in this time, it included them that they were a part of this. Martial law, to the point where it's anything goes, to where even the people that would have been a part, been a part of imposing the law and the standards, they were involved with this because there was no more law. There was no more standards. And there was a violence that was taking place uh, on this. But, but some, some have said, again, some in the pro-homosexual movement would say, well, what it was and the sin against Sodom and the reason why they were dis- going to destroy it, why they destroyed it, is because of the gang rape. But now wait a second. There wasn't a gang rape. It didn't take place. They were there. They had the lust in their eyes. And they were, they were seeking after it, but it didn't take place. The angels stopped that and kept that from happening. So there's something more than just the violence that that was about to happen or could have happened in this. Uh, I want to take you to some scriptures that, that talk about big picture and then I think bring the funnel down to help us focus on, on uh, what, was, what was going on and, and uh, what the sin, uh, part of the sins of Sodom. Ezekiel 16, 49-50, um, and it's, it's so hard to pull this out of context uh, because in it, uh, this chapter in Ezekiel... Um, God is condemning, uh, he's bringing judgment to Israel and he's comparing them. He's, he's actually, over and over in this, he talks, about, he talks about Israel whoring herself out. I mean, just over and over. There's several times, you're a whore. You're whoring yourself. You're whoring yourself out. And it was, it was allegorical, it was a metaphorical picture, but it also was quite literal as well of what was going on uh, in, the, in there to where they, comparing them to Egypt, comparing them to other pagans, comparing them to Sodom and Gomorrah, this is what was said, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. 
She and her daughters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. And it goes on to say, or either right after that or right before it, uh, is, is where it said that, said that uh, um, your sin is worse than the sin of Sodom. And, uh, and if you do, just do a word search uh, at, at uh, one of the, one of the uh, online Bible programs and just look the word Sodom or Sodom and Gomorrah and you'll find, you'll find tens of, of verses that talk about Sodom and start pointing to how it's used to contrast uh, the contrast of a, a city or to contrast a tribe or contrast people uh, and, and talking about their wickedness. Um, but, uh, but in it, uh, it, was, it was saying that there were many things that the sins in Sodom, that they, there was pride, there was excess of food, there was prosperous ease, they didn't aid the poor and needy, and so it gives, it gives a list, and it says they're haughty, and then it says, boom, they did an abomination before me. And so it's like, in the middle of this list, it's like, okay, there's an abomination. What is the abomination? What was the thing that rose up even above these other, these other very real sins? Let's go to, uh, to Jude, verses 6-7. through seven. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, it starts off by talking about some of the demons of hell who before were angels, and they rebelled against God, and they did not stay with their position of authority. They didn't stay in the way of their design. You follow me? They didn't stay in the way God desired for them to live life out. And then the comparison, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued Unnatural desire serving as, as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Some, um, some will, will say, okay, as, as we look at different scriptures that talk about the sin of homosexuality, they will say, listen, say, those sins are always, either it has to do in Leviticus with rape, uh, or, or there in, in, uh, in Genesis had to do with, with rape there, or they will say in other, other portions of Scripture, 1 Corinthians and Romans and see these vice lists, that they'll say that those have to do with those who, uh, who, who attach it to worship, to pagan deities. And, and it, so it was, a, it was a homosexual activity where you went, you went and you paid for sexual favors, you know, and, and therefore it was a part of worshiping another idol. Um, and so they were like, but, but God has, it's, some people are born naturally homosexual. You know, that there's still a, a naturalness and as long as you stay, if God has made you homosexual, then don't be heterosexual. That that would be unnatural is what they would say. Or, or they would say, if God has made you heterosexual, then stay that way and don't become homosexual. That that's, that's what's unnatural. And that's not that's not what Scripture says. And it takes a lot of a wrangling and a manipulation of the text to try to, to try to press that. But it's saying they indulged in a sexual immorality, pursued an unnatural desire. Romans 1 gives us uh, a picture that takes us all the way to the fall. Okay? And we use four terms a lot to, to describe 
history. There is creation. There's fall. There's redemption. And there's restoration to come someday. God taking us all the way back to creation to where God said He made it and He made it very good and the way He created the world and the way He created the laws of nature and the way He created animals and the way He created man, male. And as He created woman, female. As He created femininity and, and masculinity and, and as He had designed procreation and, and designed what marriage is, is supposed to be. All these things before the fall of what creation was supposed to look like. But he said as a result of the fall, and this, this passage in Romans is going to say what took place as a result of the fall. And how it brought corruption to all the areas of a person's life. And how it brought corruption to, to cities and to culture. Verse 18 of Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. What is it that's plain about God? Verse 20. His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Basically, just quickly, that, that's telling us that, that that doesn't describe Jesus. It doesn't clarify the Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection. But it does clarify you're a creation and there's a Creator. That you're a cause, but, and the, this universe has, has causes, but there had to be an uncaused cause that began everything. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Just see the slippery slope of what happens in the human condition. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see what's going on? God's Paul is telling us a history of mankind and a history of what took place as the human condition continued to flow out. To where eventually came to a point where you, know, you stopped even worshiping uh, you know, an, an uncaused cause and something that's transcendent and disconnected. You know, but to where... To where Elements of, of uh, um, monotheism can be there. There's one God. Even some elements of, of uh, polytheism, of there being many gods, but they're disconnected to where all of a sudden there's, you start having pantheism, panentheism, to where there's, there's no longer the thought of a transcendent God, but it's like, but God's, all right, God's just kind of a part of everything. And that, that's a part of part of the human condition and about the darkening of our hearts to where all of a sudden we look around and start saying, well, maybe that's God. Maybe that's God. Maybe, oh, oh. Maybe if those things are God and that's God. Maybe if the river's God. Maybe the moon's God. Maybe, maybe I'm God. It's this slippery slope that happens within, that hap has happened throughout humanity. And, and really, you can look and some of you look back and say, wow, that kind of sounds like my life. And growing up and high school and college and just what happened in my mental descent of thinking through things of God. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, so as a result of this, as a result of just continuing to get further and further away from God, even, even when God's like, man, they don't even, they don't even have 
They don't even have a respect for an ambiguous God. Now they're looking at things around them, looking even at themselves as God. What pride. So therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. So at this point, it's just saying that there's a point in, 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 in the human condition and in, in the story of mankind, and even in us, that God just kind of says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release you to your own, to your own sin. I, some of the covering that I've kept, some of what we would call a common grace, some of the covering, even the protection that God brings to sinners. I mean, we're all sinners. But what He brings to even lost people, unbelievers, a protection even against their self and their own hard heart, that God would remove even that and just say, I'm not even going to protect you from yourself. So what happens as a result of that? He gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And this is where it's like, all right, now you, you don't even have a correct worldview of, of God and, and, and the way you look, you look around you. Now it's going to start affecting you in ways that you never would have guessed. And even what, what many would look and just say, you don't even have to have a God to see what's natural. Things go to unnatural. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are con- contrary to nature. And the men likewise likewise gave up natural relations with women who were, and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And here we have, we have uh, gay men being brought, brought to the surface and we have lesbians being brought to the surface here. Scripture is addressing them and saying when women have aff- affections and sexual tendencies and they have sexual actions with one another, this is unnatural. And it's they're sinning against themselves. They're going against the design of God. And men, when they do the same thing, same, same way. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And it's kind of like, it's like, you know, once, once it's like the sluice is open and and all kinds of sins just, just rush in uh, within their life as it deals with themselves, as it deals with others, as it deals with civilization, culture. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. You know, you just ask the question, I mean, why? I mean, why, why is it so wrong? What is so wrong of, about a homosexual relationship of a woman with a woman and a man with a man. I mean, and really, I mean, aren't men supposed to be close and friends? And aren't, are we, 
Are you supposed to love one another? Aren't men supposed to love men? And aren't women supposed to love women? We are. We are supposed to love one another. We are supposed to be accountable with one another. We are supposed to press in in friendship. We're supposed to love our neighbor, our friends, and even, even our enemies. We're supposed to have a great love and a great respect for one another. But God says, but when it comes to a place where you are, you're replacing my design, I take issue with it. Um, Jesus spoke in Matthew 19 about the abuse of God's design as it dealt with divorce. But, but just take Listen to a couple of things that he says in here as, as, he speaks, as he speaks about his design for one woman and one man for one lifetime. Matthew 19, verse 3, And the Pharisees came up to him and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So stop there for just a second. He's dealing with... He's dealing with divorce here, but Jesus brings an incredibly fundamental issue to the table. He's like, look, in the beginning they were made, and they were made male and female. And we're going to get into this a little bit more next week of, of, of what is it, what's it mean to embrace maleness and, and, and femaleness, you know? What's, what's God's design behind? What, what's, what is husbandry? And what, is, what does it mean to be a wife? And what is, what is, what's expected of a, of a father and, and a mother? We're going hit, to hit those as we even hit Father's Day and Mother's Day as it just kind of pulls into this whole, this whole series in Genesis of what's, you know, what's, going, what's going on and what, what, did God, what did God want? It's like, but God made it very plain. It's, look, there are distinctions and it pleased me to make male with maleness. And females with femaleness. And for me to design what, what it means to, for them to be together and to be married and for them to love one another. And what does love look like between not only the man and the wife, but what's it mean for, for that man to love other men and, and, other, and other women and, and children in a righteous biblical way? And for women to do that, what does real love look like? And what's it supposed to look like at its greatest place of intimacy? He said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. And what God has joined together, let man not separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And, and that's part of the reason I wanted to bring this here. Because well, divorce, okay. It's because this is an abuse of, of roles, an abuse of... God's design for relationships in marriage and sexuality. And why is it that it took place? Because of the hardness of hearts. Why is it that why is it that fornication, which means sex before a covenant marriage, why is it that that's such a big deal? Why is it that it takes place so much? Because of the hardness of our hearts. Why is it that adultery takes place to where a, a man cheats on his wife with another woman? Because of the hardness of his heart. Why is it that a, a man would have sex with another man or, or a woman with another woman? Because of the hardness of the heart. Because of, because of sin. Guys, this, this week, it's just interesting. In preparing for this message, all the things, I mean, my radar has been up for, uh, 
for things of, of homosexual uh, nature. And uh, I mean, this week, I mean, uh, uh, Jennifer Knapp, who uh, is an amazing singer, um, one been a Christian artist for uh, for years and years. Um, she she came out and made it public that that she's gay and been in a, a gay relationship for five, seven years, something like that. And um, and there's just been a lot of buzz about that, you know, about, you know, wow, what's going on? And there's and there's been a lot of condemnation and, and judgment, which which I think is 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 not is it's not where God wants to go as far as just people just all of a sudden man just attacking her, you know, and 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 bringing condemnation to her personally. You know, but then there's also the other side of people's like, man, just leave her, just leave her alone. And man, what she does, it's it's her own business. It's like, well, no, no, that's not right either, because Jennifer claims to be my sister in Jesus Christ, and so therefore she claims, she claims that that Jesus is her King, and the Bible would be her her judge and final arbiter on on all things, and being that she has made it public herself. It's a, though I mean I don't I don't know her personally, um, but if I had the opportunity and I had a chance to sit down and talk with her, I, I would. I'd, I'd I'd love to, I'd love to to sit down and talk with with Jennifer and and uh, and and I I would I'd I'd go to her and I'd just say you know what I'd say you know what I'm I'm a sinner I'm a sinner too. But I would ask her and I ask you guys the same thing. I'd say. Do you believe that Jesus really rose from the dead? No matter who I ask that to, if somebody says no, then to some degree I'd basically say, well, then what I, what I think really doesn't matter. Or even what God says, or even what Jesus says really doesn't matter that much because if he wasn't God, then who cares? That's just another person's opinion. However, if Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus is God, then what he has to say about life is vital for us to know. What he has to say about where my life is and for him to point out in my life, Dave, look, this is sin in your life and I love you so much, Dave, that I don't want this external destruction and internal destruction to continue. We'll come back in just a minute to, uh, to maybe, if, you know, if, if, if you're struggling with homosexual lust or, or temptations or, or, or if you have a friend and, and how, to, how to deal with them uh, as well. Um, but it all starts at if, did Jesus rise again from the dead? Um, because it's crucial for us to embrace and to submit to whatever Jesus says. Whatever. For us to be able to say, if we believe that Jesus is God, for us to be diligent students, and are there some folks out there that, that have the opposite viewpoint or they're saying that, no, 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 as far as we're talking about here, homosexuality, no, 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 it's okay, and God designed it. You know, there are people that are saying that. And they're twisting Scripture to make it happen. And at the very best of their arguments, they're arguing from silence, trying to put something in there that's not there. You can't find it can't find any model of homosexual lifestyle of being righteous and yet we've got plenty of scriptures that de- denounce it and so what what I what I would say to, to us and, and to if for any of you who are here 
or they're listening to this or watching this, you know, sometime in the future. And and if you and if you have homosexual tendencies or you're just full blown in a homosexual lifestyle, chances are it's because you just say it's not what I, it's not my choice. It's just who I am. It's just who I am, and I don't have any option there. You know what? Can can I just tell you something? I want to expand your understanding of yourself a bit. And I want to include me and those of you guys who are here in this understanding. You know what the truth is? The truth is we're sinners. The truth is is that we're not at the place of creation with everything being great and us having pure hearts and pure minds. There's been a fall that has provided a core corruption. It's been a catalyst for destruction in our lives. To where our vantage point and the way we look at things and the way we look at life, even what we, what we look for for pleasure or peace or love, it's tainted. It's corrupted at the deepest level all the way to the pit. And so I would say to, to you, my friend, if you're just like, this, that's just who I am. I, you know, I just want to say to you, you know what? Do you know who you are? It's not that you're a homosexual. It's that you are a sinner. And I join you there. I am a sinner too. Now, what's amazing is God, God has given me a new heart. He's changed my heart. But I don't always live my life as a new creation according to my new heart. Sometimes I live according to my old dead heart instead. And I'll just challenge you. It's like, that's, that's not, it's not what God wants for you. Jesus knows our hearts. Um, I don't think I gave this to the guys, but in John 2, verses 24 through 25, um, Jesus said this about understanding, understanding us, and, and even about the, the context of this is He was not engaging people too deeply because of the way He knew them. It says, but Jesus on His part did not entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for He Himself knew what was in man. God knows. Jesus knows. He knows what's in us. He knows the brokenness of us before Christ, and He knows the struggle of us Christians even after Christ. He knows, he knows what's in the heart of a person that's they're bound to just an old, an old heart that's, that's not regenerated and just, just corrupted by sin. But He also knows even how difficult it is for you guys who are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that are Christians. He knows how hard it is for us. Because we do have a new heart. We're a new creation. But we have a tendency to just kind of come back to this old dead heart. And to live, to live out of there. He knows us. And, but you know what's beautiful about that? It's just, you know what the next verse is after saying, for he himself knew what was in man? Introducing Nicodemus. If you don't know that story in John 3, man, check it out. Because God, Jesus then made plain. The answer is you have to have you have to have to have the new birth. You have to have a new heart. Jeremiah 17 talks about this. Verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. That just described the person that leans upon the new heart. The new heart. The new heart God has given. The new life God has given. But we have an old dead heart that we're born with. 
that is described next. The heart is deceitful above. How many things? All things. That's, that's pretty tough, isn't it? That's pretty rough. Deceitful above some things? Most things. Mm-mm. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? To you, my friend, if, if you're struggling with homosexual identity or sin, I just tell you, don't trust your heart. Don't trust your thoughts and understanding of who you are. Because who you are, broadly and bigger than thinking I'm a homosexual, is you're a sinner. God loves sinners. We all have We all have attractions to behaviors that are not found within the design of God and that are not the best for us. It's not just it's not just all about homosexuality. And you know, if you're listening to this and just, you know, it's like, wow, man, he's just pounding homosexual. That's what we're covering today. Come back and come back, go look last week and come back in a few weeks, and we're gonna talk talk about all the other stuff. And the deal is we all stink. We all do. We all are sinners. We all have have tendencies to go back to our old our old dead hearts, and we all have attractions and behaviors not found within the design of God, and we must crucify the flesh, deny temptation, and surrender our ways to Jesus even when we don't fully understand. Um, does God hate fags? Westboro Baptist Church. Hmm. Interesting sort, right? And they go all over the country in the most inappropriate places, as if there's an appropriate place for, for them anyway. But, and they have these signs, God hates fags, and God's glad that you're dead, that soldiers died, and man, there's all kinds of horrible things. And, and I just want you to know that, first of all, Westboro Baptist Church is not a representation of Christianity. And I think... I don't know there'd be anybody who would actually even say, yeah, all you Christians, you're like those Westboro Baptists. No, you know what? They, they, not only do they not represent Christianity well, they don't even represent hate groups well. Do you know that on the front page of the Ku Klux Klan, they have a statement that repudiates the Westboro Baptist Church? <laughs> they say they, they say it just plainly. They said, we... You know, we we do not accept them, and we repudiate the Westboro Baptist Church. You know, so it's it's unbelievable um, what what happens there. I'm gonna I'm gonna shut things down here in just a minute. Um, we're gonna pick up some of this next week. Uh, oh, about half of this message is already on was already on the cutting room floor coming in. If you guys want more information and studying and understanding. You know what God has to say about homosexuality or just sexuality, and we're going to deal, deal. We're going to go deeper in just human sexuality and what God's design was and is next week. We're going to go there uh, more. But if you need more information, just man, give me a shout. Um, and and one of the things that that I'm going to begin with next week is we're going to talk about we're going to talk about why God would destroy everyone in a city and how God could be loving to do that. We're going to do that. We're also going to talk about, okay, do, 
do Christians really hate people living a homosexual lifestyle? And where is redemption? And where is rescue? And I'm telling you, there's some organizations, faith-based, Christian-based organizations that are doing a ton of things to, uh, to deal with the problem, not only, not, not only uh, of, uh, of uh, sexual, sexual uh, addictions, but also the violence. You know, some of the things that have gone in Rwanda and, and uh, uh, sex trafficking in, trafficking in Nepal. And, and there's some things that some of y'all, God's going to touch your hearts and you're supposed to give money to help support some of these things to, to rescue people that are enslaved. Um, and some of you, you're gonna, God's going to tell you to give, give their time. But, but I, I'm, I'm going to take just a couple more minutes just, just, to, just to make it very plain that Jesus loves sinners. He loves those who have homosexual sin. He loves those that have adulterous sin. He loves those that have fornicating sin. He loves those, he loves those that are... Uh, that, that, that masturbate and just, they're addicted to just se- sex and, and convenience of themselves. This, this is what was said of Jesus, Luke 7, 34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and yet wisdom is justified by all her children. The tag that was put upon Jesus by those that hated him was, look at that guy. He is a friend of sinners. He loves sinners. We hate Jesus because he loves sinners. There's some folks that they hate Christians because they think they hate sinners. But you know what Christianity is founded on? It's founded on Jesus. Jesus loves sinners. Um, if you've got a, if you struggle with homosexual sin, let me just tell you this. Stop trying to justify it if that's where you're at. For some of you, it's, you're so deep that there's just so, you're just weighted down by guilt and by shame. And I want you to know, Jesus loves you. And He died to rescue you out of that guilt and out of that shame and to rescue you and to free you from the vice that you're in. I, we've got vices, people. We've got addictions in our lives. This is yours. He, and he is, he is powerful enough. He died for you. He has a power over that vice like all sins. And I challenge you that you seek Jesus. You seek sanctification by the renewing of your mind and offering your body as a humble sacrifice before Him. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2 to just go further with that. And, but then past that, though, that you, would, that you would walk humbly and honestly in community. And all of this is coming, coming, out, of, coming out of a first of desire that you re- confess before God and you repent and just say, God, rescue me. Jesus, You're my only rescue. I, I walk no further into my sin. I want to walk into Your arms. And He'll provide it. And if your friend struggles, if you've got a family member that they struggle, how do you approach it? You need to go to them. You need to confess. Excuse me. First, you need to go to God and confess your sins before God. 
and say, Lord, would you please deal with the plank in my eye before I deal with the splinter that's in their eye? And you, and you mean it. You say, God, change me. Recognize you're a sinner saved by grace too. But love them enough to call them out and to, to go to them and take them to the friend of sinners. Take them to the friend of sinners. The last, this last verse I want to leave you because there is hope for change. Because some might say, it's just the way that I am. And I can't, I can't do anything because this is the way, the way that I am. Well, I want you to hear the victory that's in this, this section right here. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's the bad news. If that's who you are and you're without forgiveness of your sins, you're attached to your sins, you're identified by your sins. He says, though, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And, and what's beautiful about that is it, tells, it teaches you two things. Is first of all, justification and forgiveness totally cancels out our old identity. Completely. But it also, it also shows us that the new identity, which is justification, being a son of God, being forgiven by Him, it brings change and it also brings the power to change. And I just love that Paul said, such some of you were. Some of you were. Paul was even saying to some of you, some of y'all used to be in homosexual sin and God has freed you. Folks, listen. If you or if someone that you know, they're caught into it, do not allow yourself or do not allow someone else to think that there is a sin or a lifestyle that is more powerful than Jesus Christ.